right. That's all right. We'll get better by the end of the service, though. Don't worry. Um, so we have been challenging ourselves to ask this question uh, about our faith, and, and it's essentially, it's a very simple question. It's, it's, do I trust God? And I realize you hear that, and you're like, ah, you know, I can answer that in about two seconds. But I want you to just think about it for a little bit longer, because the reason we're asking this is, as Christians, most of the time, we may go through some doubt, but most of the time we have the question of, do I believe in God settled? We have the question of, like, you know, do I think Jesus is real settled? Do I trust, uh, you know, what we know about God? Uh, Those are kind of settled questions, but the question of, do I trust God, is not necessarily a settled question for a lot of Christians. Because I think a lot of Christians, this is kind of the, the crux, so to speak, of their relationship relationship with God. They believe, they, they kind of intellectually understand, but this trust of like, do I have a leap off the top of the stairs into my dad's arms kind of trust in God? Is it going to actually translate into the things that I do, things that require sacrifice, things that require focus? So do I trust God? The best version of any relationship is one that has deep trust. Those are the best relationships where you can really be yourself. You know what I'm talking about? Like you know you've made it in a relationship when you can go out to eat with somebody and not talk. You know what I'm talking about? And it's not awkward. You can just sit there and eat and it's fine. That's a trusting relationship or a really terrible first date. But the best version of any relationship is one of deep trust. And I'm not sure we think about this question too often, at least when life is easy. We just don't think about it when things are going well, when everything's perfect. We ask it more in those difficult, dark, tumultuous times. So the book of Isaiah is all about this question. The author has been warning these people. Isaiah is this book of prophecy. There's a lot of the Old Testament that has, has these prophecies telling people what's coming. And Isaiah has been telling the people of Israel that doom is impending. Impending doom. He's like running around the country telling them, it's coming. You guys got to shape up. If you don't shape up, you are going to be invaded by another country and then carted off to that country and be slaves. You're not going to have this beautiful land. You're not going to have your jobs. You're not going to have your cars. You're going to be gone to this other country. And you don't want that. And so he's been telling them. And their response has been like, well, are things going to be okay here for the next few years? Well, yeah, this is impending doom. It's not doom, it's impending doom. So, and people are like, okay, well, I'm okay with it now. They just didn't think much beyond the next few years. There's an actual passage we'll explore one of these days where they, they say that. Things are going to be okay for me, right? Well, yeah, but your children, oh, who cares about my children? It's kind of how they responded. So in the book of Isaiah, up to about chapter 39, Isaiah's preaching impending doom. Chapter 40, doom has arrived. Doom is there, and people are like, what happened? Why didn't you warn us? We've been warning you for 39 chapters. And now doom is here, and now you're like, where's God? Why is this happening? What's going on? And they're asking all those why questions that we talked about last week. And God's response has been to point back to his character. Not to answer the specific questions, but to say, here's who I am. You trust my heart. Here's who I am. I am not going to give you all the answers. And that's just unsettling for a lot of us. But he says, here's my character. And if you trust my character, those questions don't go, to, go away, but they get manageable. They get quieter. They're not as big of a deal. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 kind of goes on, and it says this. So do not fear. This is the, they're living in the why questions. They're living in the difficult circumstances. And this is what God says through Isaiah to them, through the author to them. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That's a good verse. It's a pretty good passage of Scripture, right? It's worthy of an underline, maybe if you have a highlighter. It's worthy of that. It's worthy of an Instagram caption. You could put it on, you know, a nice picture in the background. You could put a verse like this because it's a nice-sounding verse. But this verse is spoken to people who are in the middle of doom. They're in the middle of turmoil. They're in the middle of difficulty. And God says, do not fear. I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. I was thinking about this. You have experiences, obviously, a lot of like my illustration material come from, uh, comes from being a parent, just, you know, stage of life I'm in. But you have a lot of experiences as a parent of like trying to answer your children's questions without actually answering their questions. Anybody else ever do that? So if you uh, take your child uh, and you're saying, child, we are going to the dentist today, and your child says something like, uh, well, will it hurt? You could be blunt, you could be direct, and you could say, yes, this will be one of the most traumatic experiences of your young life, and it will scar you to the degree that you will be afraid of dentists for the remainder of your existence. You could say that to your children, and some of you probably have. (laughs) It's going to be awful. Or you could say, hey, listen, I love you. I won't let anything bad happen to you. And the kid could be like, oh, that's cool. And then if they walk away and think about like, wait a second, they did not answer my question of will this hurt? And by not answering that question of will this hurt, the implication is, yes, this will hurt. Going to the dentist will hurt. It is painful. I know they numb you and all that stuff, but it is still painful. It's a painful experience. And we don't want to necessarily give our kids the absolute like awful truth of the matter, but we want, to, we want to kind of tell them that I'm there with you. I won't let them do anything terrible. Wait, you're going to let them go in and pull a tooth out. That seems pretty bad. No, I promise I will be with you. I will protect you. I will care for you. And I think that's very similar to what God is doing in this passage. Do not fear. I'm with you. Well, wait a second, but you haven't said you're going to fix my problems. Oh, oh, that's no problem. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. Well, wait, hey, are you going to solve the crisis that we're in? Oh, no, no, no. Really, I will strengthen you. Wait, this sounds a lot like you're going to let me go through some hard times without pulling me out of it. Oh, I will uphold you by my righteous hand. God, wait a second here. Like, you're telling me I'm going to the dentist, and I'm assuming it's going to hurt, but you're just telling me you're going to be with me. You're not saving me from this. And this is where I think this question of do I trust God gets crucial. Do we trust God even when he doesn't rescue us from our circumstances? Do we trust God even when he doesn't rescue us from our circumstances? I want to make three observations about this brief passage. You can read before, you can read after if you want, but I want to make three observations about this brief passage. Uh, The first is going to be a little bit longer uh, and a little obvious, but I want to kind of talk about it a little bit. And the next two are going to be a little bit shorter, so you just kind of have some, you know, if you want to manage your schedule, your calendar here a little bit this morning. Number one observation that I want to make about this uh, passage is this. Life is hard. It's the first amen we got today, folks. This is a pessimistic audience here. Like, life is hard. Life is hard. What's interesting to me about this statement that life is hard is how often we're surprised by that fact. How often we're surprised by the idea that life is difficult. I want you to imagine a young child, maybe a six-year-old boy, who drags a box to the top 
of the stairs in his house. And he decides it would be a tremendous idea to get in this box and then go down the stairs in the box. But before he does this, he asks his mother, Mother, will I be okay if I do this? And his mother, who doesn't intend to protect him from everything in life, but believes that a child needs to experience life, doesn't say, yes, you will inevitably get hurt, says, I don't know, buddy. I don't know, but you can try it if you want. Now, this is all hypothetical. This would never really happen in real life, right? So the child drags the box to the top of the stairs. He gets it right on the precipice of the first step, and he shifts his weight. And for a brief glorious moment. His hair is flying back. There's a big smile on his face. This is everything he thought it would be. This is everything that he envisioned in his little mind. And then he hits the third step, and the front of the box catches on the third step, and then it is wipe out the rest of the way down. And this little child, this little six-year-old child, who is okay because kids are pretty rubbery, (laughs) he's fine, Hypothetically speaking, he's fine, and he's laying at the bottom of the stairs, and he says, why did you tell me to do that? (laughs) Hypothetically. And we say, we didn't tell you, buddy, we told you it might hurt. We told you it might not go well. But he was upset, and he was sad at his parents for not stopping him from doing that thing. God doesn't always rescue us from the circumstances of life. Because life is hard. It's kind of a pessimistic thing to say. Life is hard, and we're always surprised about this. We're always surprised. I think life is a little bit like riding down the stairs in a cardboard box. There's brief moments of elation, and then there's a lot of tears at the bottom. (laughs) Humans, even Christian humans, have this idea that life Free from hardship is kind of a basic human right. It's one of the articles of the Constitution, right? I should be happy all the time. I'm entitled to be happy. I'm entitled to a good life. I'm entitled to an easy life. We have this assumption built into our existence that life is supposed to be good. And every time it's not good, we're like, what is going on? But God has never promised us anything else. He's never said life is going to be easy. He said it's good, but it's not easy. Life is hard. And I think the reason we get so confused, I think, the, I think there's a person we can blame. And I think it's this next guy. I want to show you this picture of Epicurus. I think this is the reason that we, get, we struggle with life is hard. He's a Greek philosopher. A lot of you know who he is. And his philosophy was if something is good, like if something is pleasurable, it's morally good. If something is not pleasurable, it's morally bad. And he was a little sophisticated, so he could say, look, if you want to be healthy, even though it hurts to train and to run and to eat well, but that's still morally good because you want to be healthy. But his idea was moral goodness comes from like physical pleasure. That means it's good. And I think we still have that idea. Whether or not we get it from him, I think we get the idea that if it makes you happy, it's right. And life is supposed to be easy and life is supposed to be happy. And we're in this constant pursuit of convenience and ease. And over and over and over again, we're surprised when life is hard. But you know what God said? He told us life would be hard. He said it over and over again. God says things through Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. There's, a, there's an interesting verse. I think we don't, we don't think a lot in relation to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, uh, says this. No temptation has overtaken you. 
Now, the word temptation there is literally the word trial or hardship. Literally the word. It can mean many things. No hardship has overtaken you except what is common to man. Meaning, you've never experienced something that everybody doesn't experience. You've never experienced hardship that everybody doesn't experience. Now, some of you are like, well, I've never had really bad experiences. I've heard some people. But it's common to man. Have you ever run into somebody who complains about things that we all go through? You ever interacted with somebody? Mondays. Literally, we all have Monday. Everybody in the world has Monday. And you're telling me it's too hard for you. I went from Sunday and now it's Monday. Guess what I did too? Time works the same for me. I had Sunday and then I had a Monday as well. We all had Mondays. That experience is common to man. Oh, bills. What? What are these bills? Now, some of you may be like, I haven't paid bills in two years, and you're about to get repossessed on everything. But most of us, we all have bills. We all have that. That is an experience common to man. And when you complain about it, you're just kind of pointing out that, like, ah, this is something we all kind of struggle with. You're just not able to help, it, uh, uh, help yourself through it. And I think the struggle is, is you're not understanding that that experience is life. Or when people are like, it's so hot. Oh, you mean the temperature that I am also experiencing at this current moment that I am also going through? You're telling me that it's so, we're all experiencing the temperature. It's so cold. We can all feel it. We all feel the cold. You know, when you say that, you're telling us more about yourself than you're telling us about the weather. Nobody's like, oh, it is cold. I hadn't noticed. It is hot. Wow. I thank you for pointing that out in a way that made me aware of the fact that it is cold or it is hot. Those are experiences common to man Let's all agree we can stop complaining about them. Can't even get an amen for that. No trial, no temptation, no hardship has overtaken you except what is common to man. In other words, he's saying life is difficult. Now, in the rest of this verse, he says God has given you a way to endure it. Very interesting, he doesn't say pluck you out of it, but he's given you a way to endure it. But here's the deal. I think that we can't, we just... We just don't know, our society doesn't know how to handle this either. Because maybe this isn't a lot for you, but the phenomenon of social media, right? A lot of you are on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or whatever, and you see someone doing something, and you're like, that person is happy and loving life and enjoying life, and I'm sitting here on my dumb couch looking at them having such a good time. Why isn't my life better? So social media exacerbates this problem of life feeling harder than it should. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, here, here's a, a nice picture of a couple. Uh, they're holding hands. Maybe looks like they, they, they might be at some park. It's just, what a lovely picture. And, and if you're single, you're looking at a picture like this. Like, why don't I have somebody who we can twirl around in the park together and take pictures? And then you look at this picture a little closer and you're like, wait a second. Wait just a second. I see both of his hands. And I see both of her hands. How? Is this picture being taken? Their life is so good. Ah, it's not so good when you got another guy hanging on your back trying to take a picture of you and your girlfriend in a park. That's not quite as exciting. But social media gives us the impression that other people's lives are good because our intention through social media is to create the impression in other people's minds that our lives are better than they are. How about this one? Oh, here's a nice picture. Just a very serious senior photo, you know. She probably is thinking about Mondays being hard, bills. 
temperature. But wow, that's a, that's a really nice picture. Where did she get that foliage? Where did that come from? That's a Hobby Lobby. Her life isn't that much better than yours. She's in a Hobby Lobby and she's got three guys helping her take that picture. How about this one, this next one? Oh, man, especially when you have the right caption on the picture. Oh, he's at the beach. It's wonderful. Sand between my toes. Life is good. I'm, I'm here in my dark basement in the cold Minnesota winter. Why can't my life be good? I mean, that looks so good, but maybe it's not quite what it appears. <laughs> I challenge you, those of you who use social media, um, I challenge you this week to post a picture of boring, mundane life. Post a picture of that. You'll find it physically difficult to not promote your life on social media. Here I am staring at a wall doing nothing. (laughs) Try that. Life is hard. Social media doesn't help us out. Our society doesn't help us out. Epicurean philosophy doesn't help us out. Life is hard. C.S. Lewis in a speech given during World War II in England while life was hard, said something I find fascinating. He was speaking, of course, of war, but I find this so interesting. He said, um, and I think it pertains to all hardship, this war creates no, absolutely no new situation. This war creates no new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human condition so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. We are mistaken when we compare war with normal life. Life has never been normal. Now we see an unmistakable sort of universe in which we have been in all along and we must come to terms with it. Your life, this is true, your life will get better when you stop expecting life to be easy. Your life will get better when you stop expecting life to be easy because you'll stop fighting against your own expectations of how things are supposed to be. In fact, think about this. The life, the pursuit of discipleship, that's who we are as Christians. That is what our church is about. The pursuit of discipleship will be at odds with the pursuit of ease. Just an FYI. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Those don't sound like sand between your toes type comments. God will allow us to be And sometimes place us in situations that are hard and difficult. That is truth. That is truth. There's a whole cottage industry of preaching that is trying to tell Christians their life should be easy and God will bless them with Cadillacs and money. And that is just not the message of Scripture at all. Life is hard. Life is hard. Now, some of you may think like, you're a pessimist, Patrick. Mm, not at all. I'm, I'm an optimist. Those of you that know me, I'm totally an optimist. I realize the world needs both pessimists and optimists. I think it was George Bernard Shaw that said, the world needs, really needs both. They, they need optimists like me to invent airplanes, and they need pessimists to invent parachutes. Everybody's, we need everybody. That's all part of it. But I'm not, I'm not trying to like leave you here with this hopeless message. I'm just trying to help you acknowledge the reality of your situation. That is true. And God hasn't promised something different. He told us life would be difficult. God will allow us to be in situations that make us ask tough questions. But that leads to observation number two. 
I think this is important. So they're asking God, why is this happening this, in, in the book of Isaiah? These Hebrew people, potentially in captivity, they're saying, God, why is this happening? And God's like, I spent 39 chapters trying to tell you, but whatever, you're not listening. Here, I want you to know I still care. Why is this happening? They're complaining, they're whining about the situation, and instead of shutting them down, he responds with Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, God's response to their complaint about life points to something I think that is very important that does not get talked about in church very often. Um, So, number one, life is hard. Number two, lament is okay. Lament is okay. Lament is kind of a churchy word for fancy complaining to God. It's like where you write your complaints down in a poem and then you sing them to God. That's what the book of Psalms is mostly laments. God, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you doing something? We like the, the, the optimistic Psalms, but most of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Lament is okay. Listen, church, this is, I, I want to say this. I don't know that this gets said in church. I don't know that this gets, I don't know. I hope this thought has gone through your brain. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but, but this is not true. Sometimes we create the impression that good Christians should never feel negative emotions. Sometimes we create the impression that good Christians should never feel uh, negative emotions. So if I'm sad, well, it's because my faith isn't strong enough. If I'm frustrated with, with life, it's because I don't have a good enough relationship with God. If I'm upset, if I'm even upset with God, there's something wrong with me. And that is not the message of Scripture. That is not the message of Scripture by any stretch. And somebody telling you that is not fully understanding what God is expecting from his people. He's not expecting you to pretend life is different than what it is. He's not expecting that. There's, you know, I, I told you there's an entire brand of preaching and religious thought that caters to this idea that good Christians are always happy Christians. Is it okay to be happy as a Christian? You're going you to walk away hearing me say, I, well, I can't be happy. Patrick said, be a pessimist. We're all pessimists now. No, not at all. But it is not true to say that good Christians are always happy Christians because life is hard and because the lament is okay. Let me give you an example of this that I think is kind of interesting. I think it's kind of fun. So just for fun, uh, you can check out a little bit of Psalm 88. Psalm 88. It's one of the psalms not written by David, and so sometimes people are like, well, David didn't write it. But listen to this psalm. Uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, and again, most of the psalms are lament. Most of the psalms, psalms are some form of complaint to God. This is what he says. This is what the psalmist says here. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. Well, that sounds like a fun, cheery song. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Okay, well, that's not, we don't sing that one too much here at church, right? This is part of their songbook. Well, maybe the chorus gets better. The chorus builds a little bit, like he's talking about the negative, and there's going to be a little rhythm in the chorus, and he's going to be built. The, cor- the, the, the verse is, is pessimist. The chorus is opti- optimist. Here's, here's the chorus. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. I'm waking up early, and I'm praying my prayers. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? This, uh, you may not know this, but if you study the Hebrew here, this actually goes to the tune of Don't Worry, Be Happy. Yeah, it's a really cheery song. You imagine people waking up in the morning and that's their prayer. You imagine your kids walking down, uh, you know, as they're bleary-eyed, getting ready for school, and you're in the living room like, why, Lord, do you reject me? 
It's the reality of people who are chasing after the heart of God is that they experienced life like this. Okay, Patrick, well, he's having a rough uh, chorus. He's having a rough verse, but he brings it home by the end, right? By the end, it's all optimism. This is the end of that psalm. Feel free to read it. It's, it's a very fun read. If, you're, if the, today's just too nice and beautiful for you, just open up Psalm 88, and it'll bring you right down. This is what he says. Again, you have taken from me my friend and neighbor. And this is how he ends. Darkness is my closest friend. That is the end of the psalm. That's fun. That's the end. It's a little Simon and Garfunkel there, right? Hello, darkness, my old friend. But here is why I think God is, is, is okay with lament. Here's why I think it's okay. Because... And this is, this is important, church. Uh, and it's something that we just don't, we don't talk about very much. You're not a bad Christian if you get down, disappointed, or sad. Even if you get frustrated with God, you are in good biblical company. Every author that ever had anything to do with Scripture wrote about experiences like this, including Paul who prayed, he begged God to take away his thorn in the flesh, and God said, no, buddy, that's, uh, I, I have a reason. I, you need that. He didn't explain to him what it was, but he said, you'll experience more of my grace through that difficulty. I don't like that very much. This is why I think God is good with this. Lament is an opportunity to trust God with everything, everything, including our doubts and disappointments. You don't have to hide those from God. Isn't that good? You don't have to hide your doubts and disappointments and frustrations with God from God. That is good. That is good news. We don't talk about this enough because you can express everything to God and God's a big enough, loving enough, gracious enough God that he can take that and he can still help you find your way to trust through those things, through those difficulties, through those hardships. I mean, I wonder, I honestly wonder if suppressing or denying honest hurt, pain, and disappointment actually make it harder for us to trust God. Because we feel like there's a part of what we're experiencing, there's a part of who we are that we actually can't let God be a part of. And that's never been what God has wanted, what God has asked from us. Lament is okay. I don't believe it's a place we have to set up shop and live for the rest of our lives, but lament is okay. All right. Observation number three. Let's recap for a second here. So Patrick, you're telling me, if I'm hearing you correctly, if I'm being a good listener, life is terrible and it's okay to whine about it. That's what I've got out of this sermon so far. Let's, uh, let's go to observation number three. Through, not from. Through, not from. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 again says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Here's the truth. Here's the trust piece. Here's the heart of God piece that I want us to get today. God offers relief. God offers comfort. God offers grace. God offers love. God offers presence. But it is not through changing our circumstances. It's through him being with us. He tells all these struggling people, people who are complaining that life is hard, I will be with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. But he doesn't promise, I will change your circumstances, he may not change my circumstances. He will always help us through, but he may not always help us from. He may not. 
Your life, that thing that you want God to change so badly, He may not change. He hasn't promised to change that thing. He will change you. But here's the real heart of the question. How much do I trust God or do I trust God? Do I still trust God even when He won't solve my problems for me? Do I still trust God then? God has solved our problems with sin. He solves our problems with eternity. But he he may not solve your struggle in that relationship that you have. He may not solve your sickness. He may not solve your inability to figure life out and get a handle on it. He may not solve those things for you. And the question is, do you still trust him even when he doesn't fix your problems? This is not to say, don't hear me say that he doesn't care about our suffering, but his solution may not have anything to do with changing our situation. Do we still trust him? What if he doesn't make life easier for you, ever? Do you still trust him? What if he never gives you what you want in this life? Do you still trust him? What if he doesn't remove that thorn from your flesh? Do you still trust him? What if he doesn't change what you're in and you just want that to change and you don't know what to do? Do you still trust him? Let's wrap up by looking at that verse one more time. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you still trust God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to uh, think through these ideas, God, just to to know that you're a God that we can trust with everything, every part of us, all the good and all the bad and the ugly, Lord. We can trust you so much with the bad in our lives that you sent Jesus to forgive us for that sin, to forgive us for those, the, those mistakes and those problems. But Lord, when we struggle with frustration and even anger and doubt and questions, Lord, help us to understand that you can still be trusted in that, not to change our situation, but to change us, to help us know that you are present, that you are with us, that you care about us, that you care about our sorrow, that you will weep with us, even if you're not going to change what we're going through. Lord, help us to trust you with everything in life, the good and the bad. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.